You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Hey, so thrilled to see you today. So glad to be together. Real people, praise God. Awesome, awesome. No offense to the lone camera person in the back. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So good again to see you. I pray you're encouraged being here. And this is not a time to hold back. This is a time for fervency and joy and for praise and adoration to Jesus Christ. This is a time to be so thankful and grateful. So man, if there's a day to smile, now is the time, even with a mask on, all right? So so again, I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm uh, thrilled to be able to do this, and um, I'm going to ask the Lord for his help. You know, just as we heard that song uh, sang and reading in Psalm 20 this week, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen, church? We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Listen, they will, again, they will stumble and fall, the text says, but we will rise and stand upright, all of us who believe in the Lord and his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a verse that is. They will stumble and fall, but we will rise and stand upright because our rock is Jesus Christ and the storms may come, but that house will never be torn down because of Jesus Christ. That's a great spot for and. And amen. And it's so good to hear the amens again. All right. So I'm going to pray right now. Let's do that. Let's do that. Father, would you help us so much, so gladly bow before you, Lord, in a posture of dependence because that is our reality. We need you. We need you so much. God, such important truth we go through today and in this series right now. Such an important time to live. Oh, God, I pray, encourage, Lord, us with light and truth. Strengthen us with the foundation of your word. And I pray you will enlighten us and allow, I pray for life-changing moments of clarity, the clarity, again, of what you've said, the triumph of truth in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, again, you will cause your church to celebrate that we are men and women and, and therefore children adopted into the family of God. So help us now, Lord. Help me right so in need. And we all are so in need, but so delighted to be together here or if those watching a part of our church family online, oh Lord, bless and unite us now. We pray together in the name of Jesus Christ. We'll hear one more time. Amen, amen. Thank you for that. Let's get our Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. I get to hear some pages turning in God's word right now. So thankful for that. This is the second week in our extremely foundational series, Imago Day, What it means to be made in the image of God. Just before we get into God's word. Uh, let me make sure you know our resource page is a big deal set up for this series online, books, articles, podcasts, just all sorts of recommendations. Because the reality is this series can only go so far, but it's a launching pad of knowledge and transformational truths. You got to take advantage of that, all right? I, I cannot encourage you enough. Go on, resource page, dive in, equip yourself again for what is to come. Also, Starting today, the Hope Institute presents uh, a worldview course. A worldview course that starts today, designed to supplement and go deeper from the series. You can sign up today or all week long. It's not too late. Okay, it starts today, but you can sign up all week. A worldview course set up. If you don't have a foundational, strong, biblical worldview, you're not going to make it. 
Like you just won't. You'll just toss with every wave that comes, and they're coming every day. You must understand what the Bible teaches. That's why we're in this series. God will use that, but then to further supplement and grow deeper. Again, that's why the Hope Institute exists by God's grace and God's sovereign plan at this time that we as a church can do this to equip the saints, again, for fervency, growth, and foundation in Jesus Christ and for the work of the ministry. So last week we began with a foundation for this doctrine, and today we build upon this foundation. Now remember, the beginning of the Bible begins with this doctrine, Imago Dei. In fact, maybe you haven't realized this or never been kind of saw the, the clarity of this, the very first thing we learn about humans in the Bible is Imago Dei. The very first thing. So you pick up Genesis chapter 1, you go through, you see creation, and then humanity is introduced with the doctrine of Imago Dei, where it literally says that we are made in God's image after his likeness. The very first thing we learn about humanity in God's word, and really in all of human history, is that. Genesis 1 teaches us that humanity is the crowning glory of God's creation, So that means, loved ones, listen, we are the furthest thing from random processes, praise the Lord, okay? We are the furthest thing from primordial slime. And just think about that. The teaching of God's word that we are, every human being is an image bearer of God, comparing that to primordial slime. How do you get value, dignity, and worth from every human being from slime? How do you get the foundation of human rights, that no matter what race or ethnicity or, or kind of what gender, whatever you are, that you have value as the image bearer of God from slime? You don't. You don't. Why should you care about anyone else if we all come from slime? There's no values. There's nothing to be built upon that. But when you understand you are made in the image and the likeness of God as a human being, no matter what generation, no matter what place in history, what country, again, what skin color, then your worth is found because you have been created by God himself as an image bearer. It changes everything, and that's why this series is so important. No matter what weakness you might feel you have, you have inherent worth, dignity, and title. Again, as an image bearer of the Lord himself. So what's fascinating to me is the pinnacle of God's creation in Genesis 1 is humanity. It's the pinnacle of God's creation. Humanity created as male and female. And then the very next thing that God does from the beginning is the creation of marriage. Now think about that in Genesis 1 and 2. The very next thing to flow from Imago Dei is Imago Dei and marriage. It's amazing to me. So that's our thesis today. It's this. Here's our thesis. We must understand that marriage is the utter genius and design of God instituted from the very beginning, listen, for society's ultimate and greatest blessing. I'll say it again. The big idea, our thesis today, is that marriage is the utter genius and design of God instituted from the very beginning by God for society's flourishing and greatest blessing. Marriage as designed by God is the societal rock through all of human history and civilization. And again, because God created it, and everyone has known that, again, from since it began And God designed it. So my prayer today is that we will be blown away 
by the design, the beauty, and the blessing of God-ordained marriage. My prayer today is also that you will see again that how biblical marriage is the very foundation and basis for strong society. You say, why? Why? Because it has to be. That's exactly how God designed it to be. And let me say this as well today too. Whether you're married or you're single today, this message is for everyone. This isn't a sermon about how to be a better husband. This isn't a sermon how to be a better wife. That will come another day, and we've done that in the past. Today's message is understanding, by God's design, societal human flourishing, again, was created by the Lord for the benefit of all whether married, single, whether grandparent or grandchild or whether friend or whatever it is, everyone benefits as we see the commands of, and, and design of God obeyed again among us right now. So I'm praying every single person will be encouraged in understanding the foundation that is being set before you. So let's get started in our message today with point number one on Imago Day and marriage is this, the profound foundation of marriage. The profound foundation of of marriage. As we go through this message today, I just want to say uh, publicly that I am deeply indebted to Al Mohler and Ray Ortland in this message too. I found their insights to be exceptionally clear and profound. i just eager to share them with you today. You'll see as I reference them as I go along as well. You know, sometimes when you taste a delicious meal, you know, instead of trying to figure it out on your own, you're like, can I have that recipe? Right? And that's kind of what's happening today. There's this amazing meal I got to feast on. I'm sharing with you for your health and your betterment in biblical instruction as well. So when it comes to Imago Day in marriage, very excited. By the way, it's so good to see you. I'm just so happy about that right now. So praise the Lord for that. When it comes to Imago Day in marriage, okay, we start by understanding this. And maybe you haven't thought about this this way. The Bible begins with marriage. The Bible ends with marriage. The heavens and the earth are created as the home, ultimately, of the pinnacle of creation, Adam and Eve, for their home and marriage designed by God. Think about that. The heavens and the earth are created, ultimately, for the image bearers of God to be joined in marriage together. That's how the Bible begins. Now think. The Bible ends also with marriage as the new heavens and the new earth are created by the Lord for the ultimate marriage and fulfillment of every ultimate marriage on earth, the marriage of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with the bride, the church, all those who've been saved in him. That's how the Bible ends. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The ultimate fulfillment. You'll hear again today, loved ones, there's only one marriage in heaven. And it's not the earthly one you have right now if you do. The only marriage in heaven is Jesus Christ married to his bride, the church. So the Bible begins and ends with marriage. So stopping and stop and consider this then. Marriage then is not only one great theme of the Bible. Marriage becomes, biblically speaking, Genesis to Revelation, the entire wraparound concept of the Bible. To the point that every other biblical theme will find itself somewhere in the grand theme of marriage. And remember too, remember this, marriage on earth ultimately is designed by God to represent Christ's marriage to the church, Ephesians chapter 5. So marriage then, every strong, biblical, and pure marriage, listen, is a massive affront to Satan himself. Think about that. No wonder marriage is so under attack. 
Because rooted in Imago Dei, each healthy marriage gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Al Mohler puts this on the screen for you. Al Mohler says this, he says, According to the Bible, marriage is not only designed by the Creator as an arena for human happiness and the continuation of the human race, as great and as glorious as that is. But listen, he says this, It is also the arena of God's glory. Why? Where the delights and disciplines of marriage ultimately point to the purpose for which human beings were made in the ultimate marriage fulfillment found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Imago Dei in marriage, hear it again, Imago Dei in marriage is more than marriage as we often see it or think about it. It's ultimately used for the glory of God in the design of God for such things. So we've already learned, and last week we've learned, that man alone was created in the image of God. Given the role as stewards over the earth, as the royalty, again, of God's creation. But next we learn this, that God created man, listen, in the dual modality of male and female. The dual modality of male and female. Look at Genesis 1 now, verse 27 again. Take a look, notice. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And notice the clarity. Male and female, he created them. Now notice the distinction. You can't miss it. Male and female, he created them. Now why is it so powerful? Here's why. Because nowhere else in the creation account does it refer to sexuality. Only here relating to humans. As Ray Ortland says, he says, animal reproduction is assumed in the Genesis account. Human sexuality is celebrated, even though the deeper meaning is still to come. I'll say it again. Animal reproduction is assumed. Human sexuality is the only one labeled here and distinguished male and female and celebrated in the design and genius of God. It was Jesus who affirmed the Genesis account and the glory of male and female as designed by God. On the screen for you here, Jesus said this, again, but from the beginning of creation, again, notice the clarity of the words of our Savior. But from the beginning of creation, God made them, notice, male and female. So what we're seeing here then, when it comes to the doctrine of Imago Dei, it's impossible to separate Imago Dei from male and female. They're all designed by God in the order of creation itself. They never change. You can never change this truth. It will always, always be there. Imago Dei must be in line with the creation also of male and female. Here's a great encouragement I take. The mass confusion and deception and lostness of our day, no matter what is said, no matter what is written, no matter what people claim to be true, listen, You can never remove creation because creation has always been put there by God. Uh, A boy will be born a boy and a girl will be born a girl. It's just, it's how the Lord does it physically. And again, we understand this. It's how God set it up from the very beginning. I remember several months ago in just a moment of tremendous encouragement by me. It's so simple in some ways, but just in really prayer and grieving over what's happening across our world on so many levels. And I felt the Lord just saying in my mind as you think about this, Robbie, take heart. You'll never be able to alter my creation. It will, always, it will always rise up. It will always come through. No matter what happens, no matter how many things are said or you try to cover it over, creation will always rise up and peek through. 
because it's the way it's always been and it's the ways it always will be as well. Church, be encouraged by that. God's design will always be there. And notice how God feels about his design. Look at verse 28 of Genesis 1. Look at the next four words. And God blessed them. And God blessed them. The pronounced blessing of God. So notice this. The entire favor and blessing of God within creation and the created order, okay? The entire favor and blessing of God is found in the context of male and female as royalty together over the earth. Ray Orland, Ray Orland, he summarizes it this way on the screen for you. He says this. This is very important. He says, the first claim of the Bible then, setting the stage for marriage, is that manhood and womanhood are not our own cultural constructs. Human concepts are too small and artificial a context for the glory of our sexuality. I mean, just listen, look at, so, so important. Manhood and womanhood find their true meaning in the context of nothing less than the creation of the heavens and earth, the cosmos, the universe, and the entire creation. You see, God designed man in the image of God after his likeness, male and female, he created them. It is so profound and so beautiful. So loved ones, right now, today, before we go any further, the clarity of creation the triumph of what's true, the blessing of the beginning, male, female, one man, one woman, one flesh under God. The profound foundation of marriage takes us to point number two. Now the beautiful creation of marriage. The beautiful creation of marriage. Look at Genesis 2. Look at verse 15. Genesis 2 now verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die. But then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit or a helper suitable for him. So here is Adam. Notice this. Here's our context. Here's Adam placed in the midst of Eden perfection, right? No taint of sin, no hint of death. Placed to work and keep the garden. By the way, side note, notice he's not a caveman. Notice he's incredibly intelligent here, working and doing everything God has asked him to do. Notice he has placed that which is within called good by God. God called this good. Again, he called it good. He's within this paradise, This paradise of harmony with him and the Lord, again, untainted by any sin or death. But notice it's here, which is astounding. It's here that we actually learn that something is actually wrong. Within paradise, within the perfection of Eden, it's here we learn something is declared actually to be not good. And not good here is not just neutral. Not here good in the Hebrew is emphatically negative. This is bad. This is, again, emphatically bad or not good. So it's kind of staggering. God pronounces good, but then he observes and he says, but this is not good. This is negative. Look now at Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, notice, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Notice, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, Kawabunga. No, no. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, some very important observations here. Notice this, firstly. God is intensely relational. You see that? So much so that when God saw Adam by himself as man, it was unthinkable to God that Adam should remain alone. Again, he said it was not good, emphatically bad, as I said. The creation of woman here is an overflow of the love that exists in the triune Godhead, in the Trinity itself, the perfect harmony, the perfection of love that existing in the Trinity, the overflow of this now, God says, I want the love that I have to be shared with my creation, specifically in my image bearers. And they will experience a love that no other aspect of creation comes even close to. I want my love to be shared within them. To the point now, I'm so relational, God says, I'm going to create this love for them, and I'm going, to, I'm going to exercise an act of creation mandate to ensure it happens. And that's our next observation. God is intentionally relational, and now, because of this, he gives an executive order. God says, I will make a helper suitable or fit for him. Notice there, God, God adds on to the creation mandate that man may not be alone. Amazing. God sees Adam's aloneness and he decides to create to see that aloneness solved. How awesome is our God here. Notice in verse 19, God parades all the animals of the earth before Adam. Adam names each one, but the text says, but there was not found a helper fit for him. So in verse 21, God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. God then removes one of Adam's ribs and creates Eve. And then I love this in the morning, verse 22. God brought Eve to Adam. God brought Eve to Adam. You can almost hear God saying, Adam, wait till you get a load of this, right? Wait till you see what I have just done. And then it's here that Adam declares in verse 23, this at last, the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken again out of man. Notice the implied joy here in Adam's part. Notice the implied relief. Yes, at last. Someone like me. And notice the excitement inherent in this verse as well. I mean, place yourself in the text. Can you imagine the first time Adam set eyes on Eve? Like, come on, can you imagine, right? I mean, the animals were cool, right? Obviously, they're very interesting, right? But then God creates woman, and Adam has one, you know, sets his eyes on her once, and one word probably comes from his mouth, which is, wow. Like, wow. I think this is the first recorded emoji in the Bible right here. That's what I think. I think, <laughs> I think for sure. Don't you? I mean, come on. Like, he sees this, and he's just like, oh. 
like takes his breath away and the beauty and the design and the purity and the glory and the blessing and the relationship and the love in God's design as meant to be. It's astounding. And then notice the very next thing that happens in God's word is the creation of marriage. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as a result of this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This theology, that is a great spot for an amen, brother. Good job. Okay? This theology right now, though, is so critically important for us to hold fast to in our day. In fact, a couple of important principles emerge at this point on the screen for you. Just a couple. I want you to see them. Number one, notice marriage is a divine ordinance. It's a divine ordinance. Notice how clearly the Bible is teaching us marriage is not a human invention. That's, that's said all the time now. Marriage is the genius of God. Church, listen so carefully. Marriage is not something formed by social evolution. We're not figuring out how to do this as time goes by and now we're really smart and now we know again what works and what doesn't. We'll break down marriage and decide how to redefine it. That's not how it goes. Notice the companionship between husband and wife, male and female here, was no accident, Al Mohler said. It's no accident. It's the design of God. Feel the weight and the design and the glory of God in marriage. In fact, Al Mohler continues with this right now on the screen for you. He says this, this truth directly contradicts our secular age. Our society has reduced marriage to a socially constructed commodity, malleable to personal and cultural convenience. Again, that is such an affront to God as well. By the way, to do what the world is doing is a guarantee towards futility and destruction because you are rejecting and going against the very thing God designed it to be in the first place, and you go against the ways of God, it will not end well. Marriage is a divine ordinance. You can't change that. Second observation we see here is this. Complementarianism is at the heart of marriage. The Genesis account clearly portrays the equality of dignity of man and woman made in the image of God. Man and woman, fully equal, image bearers of God, praise the Lord. And within this, it also conveys how men and women are to complement each other under the design of God. Think about that, notice that, again, dwell on that. The design of God as man and woman created to complement one another for God's glory. Notice the Bible teaches us here, gender is not incidental. It's not incidental. It's God's design. Adam's leadership and headship is not incidental. It's God's design. Eve's high capacity, God-created, beautiful role as helper. Loved ones, it's not incidental. It's the design of the infinitely wise God. And the world mocks this truth. And the world scoffs and hates this truth. Yet the triune God just gave a thunderous amen to his truth. And this is why this is one of the great tests of our time right now. This is one of the great tests of our time for you, for me, for the church, for old people, young people. For everyone in between, it's one of the great tests of our time. You say, what is that? 
the great test of our time is this. Are you going to go the way of the world? Or are you going to continue to trust in the way and the wisdom of God? It's one of the great tests of our time. This is one of the great things that is testing so many. One of the great tests of our time is where are you getting your authority in life? Are you going to hold to the apparent authority of the culture which changes by the day? Or are you going to continue to trust in the authority of the inerrant, inspired, again, fallible word of God which has been there from the very beginning? And the great test of our time, in the end, are you seeking the temporal approval of man which also changes by the day until you're canceled? Or will you seek the approval of God himself who reigns in eternity and in the end is the only opinion that ultimately matters? These are the tests right now that are sifting the church. They are sifting churches. They are sifting denominations. They are sifting leaders. They are sifting pastors. They are sifting men and sifting women and sifting children. These are the tests that are sifting the church as we speak. And we're finding out who's really in and who's capitulating and gone with the world. We're finding that out right now. As we speak. More than ever in this nation. In such an important time. Ray Ortland, he summarizes it so helpful this way. He says, The insight offered here by the Bible is bold. It is saying that the delicate interplay between male head and female helper is not a mutation in human social evolution to be replaced by later developments. And you have, you have to hear this. It is a stroke of divine genius original to our existence. He continues, headship did not come down to us historically as an artifact of oppressive patriarchy. It began in heaven and came down into this world creationally as a pathway to human flourishing. Now the sin of humanity will always mess things up. That never, though, that never replaces the original design and intent of God as the way that he designed it to be for our best possible circumstances and flourishing. And by the way, if these slides are helpful to you, they will all be online uh, today or immediately following these messages, and you can read them and get them for your benefit there as well. So again, what we're learning here, the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world, which is it going to be? This is becoming a massive defining and turning point. I read this week, I was so encouraged. The Bible goes out of its way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just in my readings, Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. And the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. The wisdom of this world is futility to our God. The Bible is so clear. God is so clear. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to godless and loved ones. God will have the last word. And this is a massive point of discipleship in our day, right? Again, right now, young, old, listen, listen. You must decide what you believe. You must decide what you believe. Like right now. Because again, if you don't know what you believe, you're just going to get tossed all over the place. Let me say it again, church, all those watching right now, you have to decide now what is it that you believe. And you have to stand on that which you believe. You're praying so hard you believe in the rock of Jesus Christ in his ways that will never, ever be thwarted. Again, 
What is the beginning of the Bible teaching us? It's this. To reject the beginning of the Bible is to induce the beginning of the end. Meaning, to live outside of God's design will inevitably lead to destruction. Jesus is so clear. Matthew 7, wide is the road and easy that leads to destruction. Many will find it. It's wide, it's easy, it leads to destruction. That's why most people are on it, because it's so wide and easy. But narrow, narrow is the road that leads to life. And it's hard, and that's why few find it. Jesus Christ said that. It's exactly what we're seeing, what we've always seen. The road is narrow and hard, and few find it, but it leads to everlasting life. But living within the design of God leads to absolute divine blessing. The foundation of marriage, the beautiful creation of marriage, and now thirdly we end with this, the God-designed blessing of marriage. The God-designed blessing of marriage. Look again in Genesis 2 verse 24. Notice, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So notice here in verse 24, the design of God, the command of God, and the blessing of God all within Imago Day and marriage. Design, command, and blessing of God. You know, we referred to Mark 10 a few minutes ago. Let me put that uh, passage up in full context now. Jesus said this. Look at this now. Affirming everything we're learning in the New Testament by the words of Jesus himself. But from the beginning of creation, God made them. God made them male and female. Therefore, here's the result. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh under the Lord. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What there, what therefore God has joined together, let not man, let not society, let not the government, let not anyone separate. For this is the very design and blessing of God. This is where you will find blessing. Now, the words of Jesus here affirm God's creation. And they affirm blessing within marriage. What? Marriage is not a social contract. Marriage is a covenant before God. And let me say this before I continue. To all our wonderful, godly, beautiful, and radiant singles here right now, you know you can be eternally satisfied in Jesus Christ alone like the rest of us. And you can be exceptionally used by Him as you are. So many of my friends in this church and are so precious to our family, our singles in this church. But remember, remember, this message today is not about how to be a better wife or how to be a better husband, whatever. Again, the overarching point today is this, that under God's design fundamentally and foundationally, the whole of society is blessed by the foundation of healthy marriages and the relationships there within. That's the point of the message. By the design of God, this is how he set it up from the beginning. Human civilization flourishes under the bedrock and foundation of God-designed marriage. Imago Dei, male and female, then leading to marriage. So one of the greatest takeaways today is this. Healthy communities will not survive without healthy marriages. And I'm telling you, a tremendous weapon against Satan are strong, Christ-centered marriages. What's fascinating and encouraging to me this is to one of the best ways 
that we fight against a culture trying to attack marriage is to stay married and to have a strong and pure marriage in Christ. One of the best things we can do, one of the best weapons against, again, the darkness that comes against us. Stay married. Love your wife. Love your husband. Stay pure. Honor the Lord in this. Because as Al Mohler said, he said this on the screen, he said, a society that disbelieves in God will eventually disbelieve in marriage. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And listen, a society that disbelieves in marriage will implode. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Because you are rejecting the very wisdom and the design of God himself. That will never end up good. Ever. You see, this is where we are called to be more counterculture than ever. Every Christ-like home in marriage is a home of light, is a home of love. It's the difference of salt and light in this world, showing a difference, showing a commitment, showing a love for Christ and for one another. This is why we must all contend for marriage. Listen, all of us must contend for marriage. Married people and single people contend for marriage. It's for all our best interests. And I plead with you to understand that the fabric of society is most blessed by healthy Christ-centered marriages and everyone gets blessed in the process. Everyone. Because it's God's design. This is why we cannot go with the tide of the culture where marriage is a joke and abandoned at every feeling and whim. We must contend for marriage for what it is, a holy institution under God's created order. One man... One woman becoming one flesh under one God. Let me say what needs to be said as well. Consider how powerful and important that our sexual purity is then. Sex is sacred to the Lord. Sex is incredibly beautiful and blessed in the design of God. Sex created and designed by God, again, to ultimately give him glory in the context for which he purposed. To remove ourselves from that, to reject that, again, is to walk in incredibly serious territory, as the Bible outlines in so many places with such sobriety and seriousness. Here's one example, Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Notice, again, let the marriage bed. Sex is designed by God within marriage between a man and a woman. Let it be undefiled. Not outside of that context. And notice the result. Let it be held in honor and pure, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The Bible is so clear. Sex only within marriage. Marriage of one man and one woman who then become one flesh. Now think about it this way too. If you ask a true Christian to bless anything other than what we were just taught, think about what you're asking the true Christian to do. You are asking the true saved Christian to sanctify or to pronounce a blessing upon that which says is sin and is coming with judgment. Think about that. You are asking the true Christian to bless and sanctify that and call good which God calls evil and God says, I am coming to judge. I can't do that. 
I cannot stand before God and pronounce a blessing on that which he says is sin. Furthermore, to pronounce a blessing on that which God says he will judge is to put